Welcome to the Living Stones Podcast. These are a recording of our Sunday morning meetings. We pray that these will be a blessing to you. So please, enjoy listening. If you want to know more, please contact us at office at livingstoneschurch.co.uk. Good morning, everybody. Welcome. Do you want to come and take your seats? I... I, I read about um, a, a famous uh, preacher, so famous I've forgotten his name. <laughs> but, but apparently he says, because I think he's still alive, he says, actually, I only preach three things. First, if you don't know Jesus, I preach, come to Jesus. Second, I preach to those that maybe have drifted. I preach, come back to Jesus. And thirdly, he said, for those who know Jesus, I say, get closer to Jesus. So it's so today, I don't know who you are of those three. All right. I say, one, for some, come to Jesus. For others, I say, come back to Jesus. And for others, I trust most of us, draw closer to Jesus. So let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, for the presence of Christ in our midst by his spirit. We thank you, Father, for the blessing of our salvation in him. It's just ref- well, learning again about what it meant to be crucified on a cross. How horrific it was. And how Jesus went to that cross and endured the cross that we might be saved. And he did it out of his great love for us. So we want to thank you Heavenly Father, for sending your Son, your precious Son, Jesus. Help us to get to know him and to follow him more closely. In all of our gathering this morning, every part of it, may Jesus be in the center. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Mandy. You're leading us in worship today. By the way, if you don't know me, I think most people know me. I'm Martin. I'm... uh, no longer part of the leadership team, but they seem to be happy for me to get up and lead every so often. So Tony and I have been um, looking at Chronicles, and we're going through the Bible in two years, actually, and we got to the bit where David is handing over to Solomon, and there's a lovely chapter 28. It's about he's he's really putting people over all the areas of his, his responsibility, his sheep, his silver, everything else. And at the end of it, David says something significant to his son, which has actually already been said before in the Old Testament and is said again in the New Testament. But I just love it that this was said so many centuries ago. David said to his son Solomon, be strong and of good courage and do it. That means build the temple for that. Do it. Do not fear. Do not be dismayed, for the Lord God, my God, 
will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. And I've really taken hold of that. I'm, I re- actually wrote it down in my electricity readings book because I got, I got it and I thought, I'm going to write it down now. And that was the first place I wrote it down, but I'm going to use it. I'm going to apply it to fear. You know, when you get fear, and there is fear around at the minute, fear of, of world situations, fears in our own lives, other things, I'm actually going to apply it and learn it and apply it and remember that he will not leave you or forsake you that's Jesus's promise to us so in our worship today we're we're going to just imagine who he is again and thank him for who he is and the first song is a new song so it says sing to the Lord a new song and we're going to do it today I don't know Some of you might know it. Lord, help us to declare with our voices who you are to us. Let's do it all together and uh, just do it in your own words or do it in tongues, whichever you like. Let's lift up our voice to him. Father God, you are unchangeable. You are our Redeemer. Father, we lift you up. We lift you up, Jesus. This is a day, this is a day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day the Lord has made. It's a long day. We have a day. We have a long day to wait till he comes again. And we are in that day. We are living in the day. In that day. We rejoice. We thank you, Jesus. Jesus, you have made the polar difference to many lives in this place. Lord, I started off without you, without any knowledge of you. And you came in to influence me, Lord. You were the greatest influencer on me and I didn't even know it. Thank you, Father. If I could bow down and play the keyboard on my knees, I would. And I have done it in the past. But that's where I want to be. At this very minute, somewhere in here, he is calling someone out of darkness into light and you can just feel that out of darkness into light the tomb is open out of darkness into light Lord thank you that you are never finished with us it's a ongoing work Lord we are all ongoing works in your kingdom and imperfect as we are Lord you absolutely accept us Father we turn our hearts to you today
open our ears and our eyes and our hearts to what you want to teach us today. Help us to go where you take us today. Help us to be that salt and light amongst our families, Lord, amongst our neighbours. And as we go into this week, Father, help us to know, to know in our hearts that your promise is already delivered and is delivered because you are never a lying God. You are always a truthful God and your word is that you will never leave us, never forsake us, never. Help us to understand that word never, Father. Take it into this week. Amen. 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 I'm just going to ask Mandy just to continue playing, uh, perhaps if you could just play the melody of, of Come and Praise Him over a little bit, just quietly, thank you. I, I, I just feel it's a, a moment when we all can respond. And uh, wherever you are, um, and I don't know what is the physical like position that would be appropriate for you just to respond to Jesus this morning. Maybe you're walking closely with him and you just want to say, Lord, I want to keep walking. (laughs) Wherever you are, Mandy said she feels like kneeling. (laughs) And it may be appropriate for you to just get on your knees this morning and say, here I am, Jesus, I'm yours. Maybe you want to just stand and open your hands and just say, Come, Lord Jesus, afresh. I love you. Maybe you're sitting there and you just want to lean forward with your hands in front of you. However, I'm going to try kneeling. (laughs) Used to be able to do it easily. (laughs) Let's just be in this moment of peace. Respond to Jesus in the song as Mandy plays. lovely to welcome Val with us here this morning uh, and I'm going to introduce her later but just say thank you Val for coming along this afternoon as she's led the song. Uh, good to welcome everybody here and uh, we have uh, our family time and I'm going to hand over to Sue now and she's going to lead us in the next song today. Thank you. Right so in family time we're now looking at each of Jesus' disciples. Often when we think of Peter, we think of Peter and John. Yes, Peter and John. So today we're going to think about uh, John. Now, um, John's mother, the disciple John's mother, was called Salome. And she was a sister of Mary, Jesus' mother. So that means John and Jesus were cousins. Now, we know that um, uh, Jesus, uh, uh, that Elizabeth was also a cousin of Mary. So that means Elizabeth's son, John the Baptist, was Jesus's... (laughs) Second cousin. You're right. So John the Baptist would have also been John's cousin. 
the disciple John's second cousin. So we've got Jesus' cousin, John, and we've got John the Baptist's second cousin. So, um, and John was a lot younger, younger than Jesus. So he would have known from childhood, wouldn't he, as they, those two families, Jesus' family and John's family, lived in Galilee. So they would have been fairly near to each other. They would have known each other, and John would have known all about Jesus. And he would also surely have known about John the Baptist, his second cousin, because the story was so amazing how Elizabeth had a baby when she was old. Um, You can't imagine they didn't know about it in their family. Of course they did. So it's not surprising that uh, uh, John started off being a disciple of John the Baptist. I must go and see what this second cousin of mine is up to down at the River Jordan. And he became a, one of John's disciples. Then Jesus turned up at the, at the um, River Jordan. And of course, John, this is, this is his cousin. So he then went to find out what Jesus was talking about when Jesus was speaking. And of course, don't you think Jesus, John is the disciple that Jesus loved, we read about in the Bible, don't we? So um, he would have loved him already. He's his young cousin. It's amazing, isn't it? And we don't really realize those things when we're when we're reading the stories. So, um, he was uh, the youngest of Jesus' disciples, and he would have been maybe eighteen to twenty-two. I looked it up, and they all gave different ages, so it's a bit difficult. But he was obviously a young, young, young man when Jesus called him to be his disciple. Now, uh, there's so many stories about John that I could have talked about this morning and we could have looked at. But the one I've chosen, I've chosen. So here we are. We're just going to do one. We're just going to do one. Um, And it's the story in John 19. So the Gospel of John, chapter 19. He was the only disciple that was there at the cross of Jesus when Jesus died. The others fled and ran away or, or, were s- or disappeared. We don't know what happened to them except Peter, we know. Um, so I'm going to just read to start with um, John 19, verses 25 to 27. Jesus' mother stood beside his cross with her sister, who was John's mother, and Mary, the wife of Clopas, or Cleopas. Mary Magdalene was standing there too. So that's four people standing at the cross, uh, including John himself. Uh, When Jesus saw his mother and his favorite disciple with her, he said to his mother, this man is now your son. Then he said to the disciple, who was John, she is now your mother. From then on, that disciple took her into his own home. Well, this lady, Mary, who was Jesus' mother, was his auntie, of course. So actually, for him to take her into his own home was not a difficult thing, was it? So that's, that's that little part. Now, because John was at the cross, 
seen everything that happened there, all the things that Jesus said. And then when Jesus died, he would have seen how they took his body down and where they took the body. Wouldn't he? Wouldn't he have followed? Wouldn't they all have followed? Of course they would. So, uh, they buried him. And verses um, 38 to 42, just mentioned the burial. So I want to read this little bit. Joseph from Arimathea was one of Jesus' disciples. He had kept it secret, though, because he was afraid of the Jewish leaders. But now he asked Pilate to let him have Jesus' body. Pilate gave him permission, and Joseph took it down from the cross. Nicodemus also came with about 30 kilograms of spices made from myrrh and aloes. This was the same Nicodemus who had visited Jesus one night. The two men wrapped the body in a linen cloth together with the spices, which is how the Jewish people buried their dead. And at that point, I just want us to turn back to John 11, where we read about Lazarus and how Jesus brought Lazarus back to life. Um, and at the end of the story about Lazarus, he says, when Jesus had finished praying, he shouted, Lazarus, come out. The man who had been dead came out. His hands and feet were wrapped with strips of burial cloth, and a cloth covered his face. Okay, so that's how they would have buried Jesus. Do you agree with me so far? Yes? Yeah, thank you. You know I like, I like you all to say yes, Sue. <laughs> right. So, um, uh, so this Nicodemus had visited Jesus one night. The two men wrapped the body in a linen cloth together with the spices, which is how the Jewish people buried their dead. In the place where Jesus had been na nailed to a cross, there was a garden with a tomb that had never been used. The tomb was nearby, and since it was time to prepare for the Sabbath, they were in a hurry to put Jesus' body there. Right. So, those of you with sharp eyes will see that we have an, a tomb sort of made here. And early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, an angel came. And rolled away the stone. Oh, it's heavy. <laughs> really, really heavy. This huge big stone. It's so <laughs> so heavy. So heavy. Anyway, the angel rolled away the stone. And we think probably sat on the stone for a while. <laughs> but I won't do that. <laughs> okay, then what happened next was Mary and some of the women came early in the morning thinking, how are we going to roll that stone away? And they arrived to find the stone had already been rolled. 
And the angels then spoke to the ladies. Mary Magdalene uh, waited around and actually saw Jesus. So that's the story so far. Then Jesus came to Mary and said, yeah, uh, it's not the gardener. Um, I'm alive. Go and tell the disciples. So Mary Magdalene ran back to where the disciples were and told them that she had seen the Lord. What happened next? So on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran to Simon Peter and to Jesus' favorite disciple, who was John, and said, They've taken the Lord from the tomb. We don't know where they've put him. Peter and the other disciple, who was John, set off for the tomb. They ran side by side. So I like two runners. Okay, you're going to run round the room, you two, and come back to here, round the back. <laughs> Go on, you two, then. Go on. Go on. Fast as you can, boys. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> okay. So, John, John got here first, but Peter, when he got to the uh, tomb, he went inside to have a look. John looked from the outside. What did you? S what did John see? Uh, sorry, what did Peter see? He saw the cross. Yeah, and that was it. There was no body there. Then, yeah. Then John decided he wasn't going to just stay outside. He was going to go in and have a look, and he saw the cloth. Did you see one cloth or two cloths? He saw two cloths. There was the main cloth that covered Jesus' body, and there was a separate cloth that had covered his face. And it tells us in the Bible that that's what John saw. Okay. Now, if the Romans had come and taken the body away, you two guys, put the cloth this way. So... Okay, can you just read these verses? It says, uh, so we're looking at verse 8 down here. So uh, when Simon Peter got there, can you read that? The whole thing. I think I need to hold this. When Simon and Peter got there, he went into the tomb and saw the strips of cloth. He also saw the piece of cloth that had been used to cover Jesus' face. It was rolled up and in a place by itself. The, the disciple who got there first then went into the tomb and when he saw it, he believed. At, the at that time, Peter and the other disciple did not know that the scriptures said Jesus would rise to life. So, did you notice that when Jesus, when John got there, the disciple who Jesus loved, when he saw, he believed. 
John believed. And we don't see in the same way, but we have the same response. When we read this story, when we read about the cloth in the tomb, we realize Jesus really did actually physically, bodily, on a day in history, rose again from the dead. Amen. Thank you, lads. Very much. Um, so, uh, I think we are going to uh, take up our offering. So, uh, if any of the kids would like to make their offering to uh, for Habibi and for the children there, have we got the picture on the screen? There we are. And notice we're now supporting a new young man called Morris because Dayo. Uh, has grown up, has graduated, and is uh, looking to doing a fantastic uh, new new life, just seeking God and uh, looking to follow God, using music as his uh, way. So the, the 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 money that we give to these folk is really making a difference. To re really making a difference. It's really absolutely fantastic so um i'll just give out one uh, do you want the angels halo as well as we go around <laughs> so um most people give by standing order uh or other ways um but if you do give by cash then would you like to place your offering in the basket now if you're a visitor then don't feel under any obligation to give thank you just pass that around. Um, I want to draw your attention to this notice, which has been on the tables for the last couple of weeks, but isn't on the tables now. But I'm going to draw your attention to this one. Um, <coughs> if I asked you a question, what can you think of one way it would be different in Eastbourne, if we saw the kingdom of God coming, all right? I mean, the kingdom of God has already come, but there's always more of God's kingdom to come. So can you think of one thing, one way the town would be different if God's kingdom came? Just, just think of thought of something right call out the food banks would shut there we are sorry the police would be out of work yes but let's say less crime <laughs> lonely would be in families no rough sleeping on the street Debt, debt, yeah, eradication of debt. Lots of people turning to Jesus. Okay, anyone else? Yes, yeah, the, the name of Jesus being gossiped and just be like common conversation, yeah. Prodigals returning. 
Ya. <laughs> yeah, no more potholes. <laughs> now, I'm assuming that those of you that haven't spoken up nevertheless thought of something. Okay? Now, is it possible that those things could happen? Is it possible? Can God do that sort of thing? Can he reduce crime? Can he er eradicate homelessness and put, bring lonely people? Of course he can. Now, Jesus said something very, very simple. If you want this to happen, there's something very simple you must do. And he told us, he said, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we call that the beginning of the Lord's Prayer. So if we want God's kingdom to come here in Eastbourne, we need to... I didn't hear that very clearly. If we want God's kingdom to come here in Eastbourne, as it is in heaven, we need to pray. Okay. So this is an opportunity to join us, but join together with Christians right across the town on the 10th of February in the afternoon. We're going to hear someone speak and give a vision of what that can look like if God's kingdom comes. And we're going to have the opportunity to pray together with Christians across the town for this to happen. Now, you have other priorities in your life, like things you need to do, relatives to visit and things to do on a Saturday. But I'm asking you, maybe this day should be one where you really seriously consider setting aside that afternoon to come and pray. Okay? Any other notices? Let's pray. Lord, we pray for Justin and the younger ones as they go to their group to learn together. And we pray your blessing on them. We pray, Father, for members of our church family who are unwell at this time. And that's true of some of Justin's family. We know it's true of Burroughs. Uh, there will be others, I know. Lord, we pray, Lord, for your healing touch during this winter season when we tend to get stuff. Lord, keep us healthy, I pray, to do your work in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Right, five minutes break, and then I'm going to invite Val to come up and speak. Okay. Here's another question for you. Okay, how, how long has Livingstone's Community Church been going? Coming up, okay, coming up for 42 years. This year, we're 42. Okay, next question. Did Livingstone's just 
grow out of like uh, nothing, sort of suddenly appeared in, on the face of the earth? Or did it have a history? Did it have a prehistory? <laughs> yeah, many of you are probably not much aware of that prehistory. The prehistory is that we were part of a church called South Street Free Church, which is still going. My brothers and sisters are meeting there this morning, uh, down opposite the Dolphin Pub in South Street. And uh, Livingstone's, uh, we originally were called Livingstone's Christian Fellowship, grew out of that church in South Street. Right, hands up, those of us who were there in South Street days. Come on, Dave, put your hand up. <laughs> yeah, four of us are here this morning. Okay, Sue and myself, Dave, and Val. And while we were there at South Street, we, we thought, let's make a church magazine. And... Uh, we, we had a church magazine. I don't know how many editions it ran to. And someone said, what should we call this church magazine? And I don't know if it was your idea, Val, but someone came up with the idea. Let's call the magazine Living Stones. Okay. And I remember that there was a picture, and I, I was looking for it. Oh, you've got one at home. Oh, you should have got it. Okay. There was a picture on the front of a pair of hands, God's hands, as it were, laying stones, building a building. And the person who did that little picture for the front cover was, wasn't it? Was it Andrew? Oh, I'm really sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. I got that bit wrong. Uh, but anyway, <coughs> when we started as a new congregation, we, we, we came out unnamed, and we were meeting one Sunday morning, and someone just stood up in the middle of the meeting and said, do you know, I think God has told me what the name of this church should be. He said, I think we should be called Living Stones Christian Fellowship, which has since morphed into Living Stones Community Church. And so we have been ever since. Why am I telling this story? A, it's partly to introduce our dear sister Val, and also it's partly to just a hint at the passage we're going to be looking at this morning, which Val is going to open up for. So Val, come and, and uh, stand here. I, secretly, uh, uh, Jeanette is the one that's organised all, the, um, uh, all the, the speakers and the passages for this. And secretly, I didn't tell her this, I didn't tell her this, but secretly I thought, do you know, of all the passages in Peter I'd really like to preach on, would be this one. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> But I thought, do you know, I think Val is, is going to do a great job, and I'm so pleased that she is the one who's going to open up this passage for us this morning. So let's pray, let's pray together. Dear loving Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, it's your word that gives us life. Your word that searches our hearts. It's your word that spoke creation into life. And it will be with the shout of your word. Waken the dead. Lord, we pray now that your word will speak into our hearts. 
and that you will bless our sister Belle as she opens it up for us. In Jesus' name. Thank you for that. Uh, it's a great privilege to be here this morning. I, I was reckoning I have not been back for a Sunday service in all the time that we've been meeting. And Martin said that that's 30 years now that we've been meeting at um, the community centre in Old Town as Old Town Community Church. I did speak during the pandemic on Zoom, which I remember. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I've not been in person. So it's so good to see so many um, old faces in both senses of the word and new faces as well. So lo lovely to be here. And as Martin said, what, what a super passage to speak on. Um, living stones. Now, this letter was written by someone whose name was Rocky or Stone or Rock. Peter, that's the name that Jesus gave Peter, we're going to look at that in a little while, but it's, it's significant, I think, that Peter probably went through life thinking, hmm, I'm a stone, but what about that other stone? What about those other stones? And so significantly, he was given that name at the before Jesus died and rose again and was given a specific ministry to build God's church. Um, or be the thing that was the foundation. I'm not going to speak about the Pope this morning, don't worry. So, in Matthew chapter 16, um, Peter is given the name Rock. Now, we often say that the church is people, not buildings, don't we? I've said that many times. The church is people, not buildings. And we focus on the people but we sometimes miss an important element, which we're going to think about as our key theme this morning. And when Jeanette sent me an email and said, someone's pulled out, so will you, take will you step in <laughs> to speak to us this morning? I said, very rashly, as I do, I said, yes. And uh, she wrote that the topic was going to be Jesus, the key to our faith. Jesus, the key to our faith. So I'm not going to divert too much from that. I'm going to actually focus on Jesus. Even though this is tempting to really focus on the living stones bit, no, I'm going to focus on the Jesus bit. So we're going to read 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 8. And I've got the new uh, NIV version here, which I think most of you have got. So 1 Peter chapter 2, Verses 4 to 8. Peter has just told his listeners or readers, turn away from bad things. And now he's saying, let's turn in another direction. And he says this, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, 
the stone the builder rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. So that's our passage for this morning. And um, in, the, in that short space of four verses, or is it five? Oh, anyway, Jesus, is, is, sorry, there is an analogy. In other words, something's been compared. Five different stones are mentioned. And for four of them, Jesus is being compared to stones. So we're going to look at those first. And our first one is in verse 4, that Jesus is the living stone. I'm so pleased Sue has done this talk this morning because this is the, as a foundation to our faith. The fact that Jesus is alive is the foundation, in my opinion. Jesus is the living stone, and he's key to our faith because he's risen from the dead. Without the reality of this historical event, we might as well go home. We are wasting our time. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 13, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. You're having faith in a myth and a fairy tale. Why bother? Why all the energy that you're expending? Go home. No, but but I might as well sit down now. If Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead, I would not be standing here. I'm not stupid. (laughs) Well, maybe I am. Um, Peter knows that Jesus is alive and that he's alive forevermore. This is not a theological concept or a cunningly devised story, but a flesh and blood reality. Peter, on the day of of Pentecost, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he preached to the crowd, and he confidently asserted then his credentials as an eyewitness of the resurrection. God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this, he says in Acts chapter 2. We are all witnesses. We saw it. We saw those folded grave clothes. We saw him umpteen times afterwards. We saw him in the middle of a room when the doors were locked. We saw him on the beach cooking barbecued fish. Peter, of all people, was, I think, just bowled over by the fact that the the risen Jesus, who he had actually denied made a special point of saying to him, do you love me? Do you remember? And Jesus commissioned him. He said, feed my lambs. And this book is part of that feeding, actually. We are being fed because that letter was written and Peter was that eyewitness to the living Lord Jesus. So as the living stone, Jesus has the power to forgive everyone who turns to him. And to give them the power to become children of God through the Holy Spirit, changing us. We can't do it on our own. We need the life of Jesus within us. So the risen Lord Jesus. Secondly, Jesus is described as chosen, the chosen and precious cornerstone. That's in verse (coughs) 6. 
For in scripture it says, See, I lay in Zion a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. So, what is a cornerstone? I had to look this up to make sure I wasn't making it up. And according to Wikipedia, which I trust... <laughs> I, oh, come on. No, I think, most, oh, I think mostly you can. You can see if it's wacky, can't you? It says this, the cornerstone or the foundation or setting stone is the first stone in the construction of a masonry foundation and is important since all stones will be set in reference to this stone. The cornerstone determines the position of the whole structure. My daughter, Abby, and her husband, Alex, have moved to Eastbourne now, but they did used to live in a flat in Leytonstone in London. And it was an interesting build. It was a, the end terrace of a Victorian uh, row, and obviously the builders, when they got to the end, decided, let's make more of the space we've got here because there was a side road, but it came at a slight angle. So their house had very wonky walls and no room had 90 degree angles in the corners, none. And this caused problems. Um, their laminate flooring that someone else had put in was very interesting, as you can imagine. And furniture didn't fit into the corners. Um, things got mouldy in the corners where nothing could be placed to hide it and so on. So you need to have the right shape in your building and you have to have a cornerstone that is properly angled at 90 degrees on each corner. So this, the cornerstone provides stability the building, security for the people inside it because it isn't going to fall down, and the direction and the shape of the building. And all the stones in the building need to be aligned to that cornerstone if that building is going to take the right shape and be habitable. God wants to come and live in the building that he's creating. He needs to have that cornerstone. Now, Peter's declaration in Matthew chapter 16, verse 16, was in response to Jesus saying, who do you say I am? He'd already, he'd already asked, who do people think I am? Oh, some say Elijah, some say um, John the Baptist. And then Jesus said, but who do you think I am? And Peter, being Peter, because he tended to jump in, said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You are the Christ. What an amazing thing to say to another human being, and especially one that you had got to know, not only as a rabbi, as a teacher, but as a friend. Three years of very intimate friendship between these guys, and their he is saying, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Peter, was that, that was what he said, and Jesus immediately said, blessed are you, Peter. God revealed this to you. It didn't come from yourself. It came from revelation from, from God. And on that rock, 
or it could be him as a person or it could be the fact that he declared it but certainly Peter was chosen as a very important foundational leader in the early church on this rock I will build my church so the the um that declaration is the cornerstone of our faith that Jesus is the son of the living God Jesus lived a sinless life fully dependent on his father totally committed to his father's will like a cornerstone he was shaped by the things that he suffered it tells us that in Hebrews he learned obedience he was fully aligned with his father's will he was straight true upright dependable faithful he didn't deviate in any way from his purpose. I delight to do your will, O oh God. And it, that took him to the cross, that he was willing. So he is the perfect cornerstone. However, oh, and, and I should add, to those who believe, he is precious. He is precious to us who believe. However, Jesus is also, in verse 7, described as the stone that was rejected. Now, to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builder rejected has become the cornerstone. To those who do not believe. Now, this is a quote from Psalm 118, verse 22. Interestingly, this is the most quoted verse from the Old Testament in the New. That six times it's it's quoted three, of, three times by Jesus himself. Jesus himself says this to the Pharisees as his ministry is drawing to an end. He's gone into Jerusalem on um, Palm Sunday and they want to debate with him various things and he tells them some parables that are not very well received. One of them being the parable of the tenants in the vineyard. And it's a direct, well, it's like a exocet missile into the hearts of the Pharisees because it's saying to them, you are rejecting not only the fact that you've rejected the prophets all through, the, through history, you've rejected John the Baptist, you've rejected God's own efforts to, to love you and have relationship with you, you've turned God away. And now, as that parable says, you are going to kill his son. And they didn't like this. They didn't like it at all. And then he said this verse to them. The stone, he said, haven't you read? Haven't you read your Bibles? Haven't you read in scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. He didn't uh, outwardly say it, I am that cornerstone, but that's what he wants. That's what they would have understood, that he was going to be rejected by them. So he added the little bit, the extra bit when he, he spoke. He said, the Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. Now, why did Jesus get rejected? Why was that cornerstone not acceptable to them well I think mainly because it just didn't fit the kind of building they wanted it didn't fit with the plans of man 
it didn't fit the profile of the Messiah that they hoped would come. They were relying totally on keeping the letter of the law to try to please God. So it was a man, it was people's efforts. And Jesus came along and started to show that the law was there for us, for our benefit, rather than to to, um, keep us under bondage. And he said, you're never going to fulfill the law anyway. I'm sorry, I I could go on about all this, but I won't. Um, So first of all, he, he didn't fit the profile of the Messiah that they had in mind. Another thing that really riled these religious people was that he was friends with the wrong people. I noticed this the other day reading in Matthew, where one of the first times that the the Pharisees got together to try to get rid of him was after he'd been having a party with, um, I don't know, tax collectors and sinners. And that, that was absolutely shocking to them. They, these were outcasts, do not have anything to do with them. So Jesus said, I've come to save sinners. I haven't come to save the good people. And that was another way, reason he was rejected. And of course, also, he challenges all the time hypocrisy and legalism. And if you read um, any of the Gospels, you'll see this at work. Jesus challenging what looks like religion and saying it's got to be in your heart you've got to exceed the pharisees in your goodness because they're outwardly good you've got to be good from the inside and only jesus can make that demand on us because only jesus has the power and gives us the power to live that kind of of life right so what if we look at john chapter 1 verses 9 to 13 it's very often read at christmas It says this of Jesus, he came to his own and his own received him not. But to as many as received him who believed on his name, to them he gave the power to become the children of God. If you are struggling and thinking, I just need to be a better person, that's a good place to start. And especially if you can say, I just can't do it, because it's to as many as received him. It's Jesus we're receiving. It's not a set of rules. And when we receive Jesus, he gives us the power that we need to be the children of God. Now, the rejection that Jesus suffered led led to his death on a cross. Now, I'm going to deviate again from the passage because I want to just quickly remind us that in Philippians chapter 2, It says he became obedient to death, even death on the cross. That was the worst form of humiliation and suffering. And then it says, therefore, God has highly exalted him, giving him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Because he was rejected, because he suffered, he he pleased his father who exalted him to the highest place. Nevertheless, this is the fourth sort of stone. Jesus is a stumbling stone. If you look at verse 8, 
Again, Peter is quoting from the Old Testament, this time from Isaiah 28, verse 16. And it says, I'm laying a stone. Oh, no, sorry, that's the wrong bit. In verse 8, a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock to make them fall. Now, you've probably all tripped over at some stage, but imagine a a very sturdy cornerstone. If you tripped over that, you would really stumble. Jesus became and still is a huge challenge to people. Lots of people, if you asked in the street, would say, oh yeah, Jesus is a wonderful man. Oh yes, he's very, you know, he's love. He went about loving people. But if you actually press a little bit further and say, and what do you think of Jesus? There's usually a reaction that is in the opposite direction. So he's a huge challenge to those who rejected him because they do, do not like his message. The Pharisees were shocked. How could this man eat with sinners? Didn't he know who they were? How on earth? Could he forgive sins? Who, who is he that you... He said that as they let down the paralyzed man through the roof. Do you remember? And he said, your sins are forgiven. And they said, hang on a minute. Who are you? So he said, well, okay, I'll just prove that I do have the power to forgive sins. Get up and walk. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Um, how could this man who said he was God's... Well, he didn't say he was God's Messiah, but people like Peter were saying he was, and people were recognizing something amazing about him. How could he heal whilst breaking the Sabbath law? How terrible was that? That was a stumbling block. Those are just some of the things that people stumbled over in the days of Jesus' ministry on earth. Here's an example of something that is always a stumbling block. And it's from Acts chapter 4. And Peter and John had just healed the lame man at the temple. And remember, they said, we haven't got any silver or gold, but we do have something for you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And the song, (laughs) he went walking and leaping and praising God. Um, well, we could sing it at the end. <laughs> anyway, um, Peter and John then were facing the Sanhedrin. That was the religious court. And they were up before the court to explain what on earth had happened and how they did it and who do they think they were. And Peter, the one who's writing this now, says this, Know this, you and all the people of Israel... It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, who has become the cornerstone. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Now, that's the verse that people stumble over, isn't it? The Jews stumbled over it because it meant that the law was powerless. And they, they, keeping the law wasn't going to save them. They needed this 
Jesus to save them. Today, this is one of the key things that people stumble over. There's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. There are many things that people stumble over when presented with the tables of Christ. This is just one of them. Salvation is found in no one else. No one comes to the Father but by me, says Jesus. That's a key stumbling block. How about this one? Love your enemies. Pray for those who mistreat you. Oh, no, 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 no. My mother's stumbling block actually used to be, don't be anxious about anything. She used to say, but I, I need to be anxious. She didn't, <laughs> she didn't like the idea of not being anxious. Um, where am I? How about this one? This is, he said this to the rich young ruler. Sell all that you have and give to the poor. And it says that he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. Jesus puts his finger on something. And we either recognize I need to be in alignment with that or we stumble and we fall. Jesus isn't a fluffy comforting little mascot he's our friend and he's our brother but he is also our lord and this is the fun you know this is part of the foundation of our faith at the end of the sermon on the mount jesus sums up his teaching with the story of the wise man who builds his house on the rock when the storm came the house was safe because it was built on the rock conversely the foolish man built on the sand and the house was washed away when the floods came. And there's another song we could sing there. <laughs> Jesus says, whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man. So this is for all of us. We need to make sure that we are, we're actually doing the stuff that we say that we believe. Read the Sermon on the Mount again. We actually, a couple of years back, after the pandemic at, at Old Town, we took probably two years going through the Sermon on the Mount. Sunday, not every Sunday, but twice a month. And it was revolutionary, really. But what did it do? It brought us to the knowledge that we needed Jesus. Right, finally, the last mention of stones is at the very beginning, and I've saved this till last. You also like living stones. So Jesus is those four aspects of stones, but we are also like living stones. And it says this, as verse 4, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. From all that I've just said about the cornerstone, do you see the the absolute foundation is not an idea, but a person. And that person is the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I started with a thought that we often say that the church is people, not buildings. And I remember that when we first started at Livingstone's Christian Fellowship, all those long time, that long time ago, we met in, heart, in the Girl Guide headquarters, didn't we, for those first couple of weeks. And um, we were very excited. There was a real sense of anticipation and freedom and, Lord, you're, you know, you're leading us into new things. But it can be that we very much, we, we soon start to focus on church and all that that involves. The church buildings can be as tricky as, you know, ch- um, human buildings in, in, a, in, a, in a sense. And so the church is people, not buildings, needs a bit of an extra add-on, and it is based on Jesus and he is the center. He is the center. He's the reason that we meet. He's the reason we exist. So here are three final thoughts about being living stones, and they link with a verse one and t- oh, sorry, verses four and five. I've got who, what, and why. Sorry, I have to have these these little hooks. So who? There are two people involved here. There is you and there is him. So there's you corporately and him, Jesus. There's you individually and him, Jesus. The um, Greek tense there is plural, actually, but it can apply to individuals. As you come to him, this is a relationship. And this is the relationship with Jesus who said, come to me, I want you to come to me. All of you who are burdened, weary, and I will give you rest. Burdened with the demands of the law. Burdened with the demands we put on ourselves. Burdened with the demands that people on Instagram put there because their pictures are perfect. Come to me, all of you, who are weary, heavy laden, I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. It's a wonderful thing to be freed from the burden of having to achieve and appease because we can't do it ourselves. And in relationship to him is what the church should be about. More more so... Then our, well, as much as our relationship with one another. People can only be church if Jesus is there and if Jesus is central. I just love that time of worship because Jesus was being worshipped. When we meet together, are we expectant, wanting to meet with him? Do we expect to hear from him? Because he wants to be communicating with us, encouraging us, straightening us out maybe turning us back a little bit onto that alignment with him. So what is happening? We are being built into a spiritual house. In Hebrews 11, it says that Abraham, when he um, went on his journey of faith, it says he wasn't looking for a city that was made with hands. He was looking for a city whose designer and builder is God. That's what we have the privilege of being part of, the church. 
Now, the verb there, you are being built, is apparently the present continuous tense. In other words, it's keeping on, it's, it's going on. Jesus hasn't finished with us. Don't be discouraged whenever you feel, oh, no, it's not perfect. Oh, this is happening and that's happening and there's a bit of a crack on the ceiling or something like that. Don't worry because Jesus has not finished building. He is still doing it. We, but notice it's in the passive as well. We are being built. We're not building ourselves. He is, built, he is building us. We're alive, but we need to submit to him building us. Don't be too alive and kicking, you know. Um, so G God himself is the architect of this spiritual house, and we are being built by him together. Be willing to let him build you. And finally, why? Why on earth does God want to, bu to build us into this house? It's to be a holy priesthood. The temple in the Old Testament times existed for the worship of God. In a, a world in which hundreds of gods were worshipped. And God said, I'm the Lord your God. You have no other gods but me. And you are to worship. Right, so it was to be built for the worship of God. And I would say that God would love it if worship was central in each of our individual lives, part of our lives. Now, that, that might mean different things to different people. It might be that you enjoy music a lot and you would each day start with singing a few songs to the Lord. Could be prayer, could be all sorts of things, but worship is central to each of our lives. This is in order to offer up spiritual sacrifices. But Peter doesn't say what they are to be. They could be all sorts of things. Prayer, sung worship, giving, serving, helping one another, using the gifts that God has given you to glorify him. Um, it can be re really well summed up in Romans chapter 12. Verse 1, therefore, says Paul, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. That we just say, here I am, Lord. Um, that's what worship is, isn't it? Now, this morning, when I got up <laughs> pretty early, um, went into the kitchen, and this verse just popped into my head. And I thought, I, I just want to add it, because I think perhaps God was, is bringing it to you as a, a church. And it's, I, it's not what I've thought about in preparation. It just came to me. Isaiah 51, verse 1. And God is speaking, and he says, Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness. Lots of people here are pursuing righteousness. You want to do what pleases God. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness and who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were cut and the quarry from which you were hewn. So that I think that is something that maybe needs to stay as a thought and um, 
something to ponder. And we just need to lift the name of Jesus higher. And, oh, I've, I've forgotten this bit. As we come to him, it says, you are living stones, he's a living stone. And then he adds the bit that he was rejected by humans. Part of our worship will involve allowing ourselves to be rejected sometimes. Are we living such lives that nobody would be offended by us? Am I so keen on not offending my friends that I wouldn't mention that Jesus is the only way to God? That Some of that offence will be one stuff that we carry. And our worship is to say, Lord, even if it takes that, as thousands and millions of people around the world are suffering because, because of their faith in Jesus, because he is the cornerstone. So, should we just pray? Father God, thank you that you don't live in houses made with hands. Thank you, Lord, that you live within communities of people who love you and that right across the world you are building your temple to live there by your spirit. And Lord, we just want to offer ourselves as those living stones because you brought us from death to life. And we just ask, Father, that you would continue to shape us and align us with your son, Jesus. And we do ask that you would revive and restore our love for you, Lord, more than anything else. And, Lord, may we live our lives to glorify your name, just as Jesus did, for his glory. And because we just want to see your building growing. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Awesome. That's a, a, such a word to take. Look to the rock from which you are hewn. And actually, it goes on to say, he's speaking to Israel, look to Abraham. But Abraham saw Jesus' day and rejoiced. So if you went back to Abraham, Abraham would say to us, no, 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 look to him, this living stone. And Thank you so much, Val. I mean, it's, lo it's lovely to have you. I didn't realise that this is like your first time. <laughs> oh, dear. But, but yeah. <laughs> so, but it, it, it's such, it, it, it obviously for us oldies, it resonates. Um, but I want to say to, if, even if you're new to Living Stones, this is our foundation. There is no other foundation but Christ Jesus. And it's he that holds us together. If we try holding ourselves together, we'll fall apart. But if we, all of us, look to Jesus, the living stone, then he will keep us together. Well, thank you, Lord, for your word to us this morning. I do believe that there has been a drumbeat of a call from heaven today to each one of us. Come to Jesus. Come back to Jesus. Keep close to Jesus. 
Lord, whichever it is for each one of us, Lord, give us your grace to do it in Jesus' name. Amen.